Next on the tee, playing in the number one roster position for the University of Notre Dame Fighting Irish women's golf team. Freshman sensation, Lauren Boudreaux. I did not want to leave that awesome facility. What about you? Of course I didn't want to leave, Allie. I could tell when we pulled up through that gate, we know the passcode now, by the way, that Warren Golf Course had something special for those players at Notre Dame. And uh, when we walked in there and, and got a good look at what they're able to use and work with every day to hone in on their game, yeah, I did not want to leave. I'll tell you what I learned from Lauren. You have to work really hard to get into any D1 college. And once you get there, that's when the real work begins. Yeah, and she works hard. She worked hard, and now she's really working hard. But it pays off. They're in Arizona right now. We're going to post this podcast so they got something to listen to on the plane ride home, huh? After they dominate out there and that invite that they're in. I learned a lot from her, too. I learned a lot about the AJGA world that, that she just kind of stepped out of and uh, earned so many stars throughout the course of her career to play at a really high level in some really great tournaments. She talked about her own self-diagnosis swing-wise, her journey to where she is now and, and the difficulty that was working her way out of junior golf into that high school golf arena. For me, these are the types of conversations I want to hear as a dad. Hearing a kid talk about their process to get where they are now, uh, really inspiring stuff. Uh, she's a well-spoken kid. She's obviously got a head on her shoulders way above mine. She's at the University of Notre Dame dominating academics and athletics right now. Um, so I was proud to be there. I didn't want to leave. We snagged a sleeve of Pro V1s on the way out the door. She hooked us up, and uh, we waved goodbye at some O'Rourke pub and called it a night, school night at that. Got home late, but you know what? That's what we do for Grow the Grind, right? Yep. Hope you enjoy Episode 4 of Grow the Grind. This is Allie Wirtel. Welcome to Grow the Grind, Luck of the Irish. We are live from the University of Notre Dame campus with freshman phenom and Illinois girls golf legend, Lauren Boudreaux. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Okay, I'm starting to see why you chose to be a part of this Irish squad. The Rolfs family multi-million dollar golf facility is awesome. How often do you and your teammates practice in here? Uh, we practice here six days a week. We have mandatory practice when we're in season that lasts two hours, and then all of the members of the team usually put in additional time. To, uh, we all come in on off days as well. Yeah, we're uh, we're looking at greatness here. I'm telling you right now, we're sitting in, in the main entrance. We've got unbelievable trophies above us from back when they were Big East days, and to our right is probably the alley, the best indoor we're super jealous putting and chipping area that i've seen agree i agree and you have to agree too yes i definitely agree it's got the best uh slopes the greens are fast so it simulates the golf courses that we play and then uh there's grain on there to um make sure that we're prepared for when we go to our trips to florida and south carolina and things like that so um i can hit every type of putt and chip in there and my short game has improved immensely has it I mean, really, it has, right? Like chipping and, and everything that you do, you're saying probably about three hours a day in this facility is what typically you guys put together as a, as a, as a team. Is that, 
are we doing it on our own time or is everybody coming and meeting at the same time during the same window? Uh, so we have uh, mandatory time slots that um, the team practices from. And then we usually on our own come in a little early or stay a little after after the official team practice. Men's and women's share the facility. Yes. Mm-hmm. And different practice times, different slots. Yes. But do you guys end up seeing each other here a lot because oh, yeah. you guys are all grinding and working hard and going mm-hmm. overtime? Yeah, we have a really good team relationship um, on both sides and we'll have competitions with each other and you know push each other to get better every day yeah um i'm jealous of it you told me as we walked in that there's actually something sitting at the top of that ceiling there that's reading your putts now and drawing laser lines down yes what um yeah the putt view system uh was installed this past year and uh it highlights on the green the exact uh break of the putts um on just about every hole so uh Really practicing matching line and speed um, has been a great asset for our team. What's the longest putt you can roll out in there? And it's about 60 feet. 60 footers. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. I think that's enough, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. They roll quick enough for you? Do you feel like they're like a realistic look when you go to some of these tournaments coming up here that you have? You know that you're going to be outside putting again? Yes. Is, is it enough? Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, we... Uh, we did a training trip uh, two weekends ago to Florida, and we played Jupiter Hills, and their their greens roll pretty well there. And uh, I had no problem adjusting to the speed once I got there because these putts here, they don't seem like they roll pretty fast, but um, they run out pretty good. So you're you're always ha- looking at four-footer comebackers. So. There are trophies everywhere. I mean, Notre Dame golf, big-time stuff for you, right? <laughs> Yes. Like dream come true type stuff. <laughs> yeah. So as a freshman, you're here now, and we walked in. There's the legends on the wall in there. They're these really cool placards. They're they're the shape of a shamrock. Um, the past greats. And I asked you. I said, Do you look at that wall, and do you hope or plan on being one of those faces up there? Yes, definitely. Every every day when I'm in there practicing and chipping, you know, I'll look up at the flag stick and I'll see those pictures up there. And it's just a huge motivation um, for me to get to that point um, because there's so many people that come into this facility and everybody uh, knows who the Notre Dame greats are. So I hope to one We're day be there. We're talking to one of them. <laughs> we are. We already are. We are. Are we not, Al? Yeah. We did a little research, and we believe that the Notre Dame school record is a 65. And you went out there as a freshman and carded a 66. How did that go down? Um, it, it was at our Oklahoma tournament, and uh, I was just striking it really great that day. I didn't have a phenomenal putting day, but I just gave myself a ton of opportunities. And so I think I hit 16 greens that day. And so it was just kind of, I was just kind of rolling with it because it was, things were going well. So <laughs> you said you had a bad putting day. Yeah. I, I missed, I missed some putts inside 10 feet that could have been, made the score even lower, but, uh, it was a pretty clean card. And so, uh, it was a great, great What does round. that feel like? I mean, coming into it, you're, you're a freshman. This is one of your first two or three fall right mm-hmm. tournaments yeah. yes and so i don't, i know you don't doubt yourself i can i you know why i know here's why i know cuz i've seen you practice and and the only reason lauren agreed to do this podcast with us is cuz probably she understands our our misery in the winter and we saw her working <laughs> at miss wood in the dome last year as a senior 
all the time. You were there how often? I went probably close to every day after school. Every day. Mm-hmm. But I watched the way that you worked, and I was, I was curious about it. And um, it was very efficient. You had, you had a very detailed plan. You didn't waste a, a ton of time in the bay. You, I think you hit the shots that you felt like you had to hit for as long as you needed him. You didn't overdo anything. Um, I, either you were getting in and out of there quicker or we just missed the first hour and a half of your practice every day because she's at school. But am I wrong in saying that you really did have a good game plan about your winter work and that's what prepares you for tournaments as you move forward? Yes, definitely. My my dad instilled in me from a young age practice with a purpose. Um, so when I'm I'm never just beating balls for the heck of it out there. Um, I o- always am working on some type of drill, working on alignment, a particular swing thought, but not cluttering my mind with too much at all times. So just focusing on one thing and making sure that I master that by the end of my practice session. So that's kind of the goal when I when I go to hit balls because it's easy, especially in the Midwest when you're hitting inside a dome or hitting off mats to just uh you know go through the motions and you can get away with a chunky shot here and there but it's it's picking decisive targets and decisive things that you want to work on which makes a difference in the end is there a set number of irons or is it a set number of great shots with that iron that you're working with i go through the bag entirely um start from short shots all the way up and then I'll work my way all the way back down and it's I like to change my clubs after maybe 10 shots or so no matter it, how you hit it no matter how I hit it because um you're never in a real round of golf hitting 58 irons in a row and so I like to break it up and sometimes if I'm like oh this is a great nine iron I'm really feeling the swing thought testing it with a three wood next or something to see how that correlates as the clubs get longer and you know the shot dispersion can get a little larger. Hmm. How do you do it Allie? Well I mean I probably take too much time on each club but I like Lauren said I work my way up and I just I do I think, think you a take idea. a ton of time. Yeah, I take so too much time. Is it is it that you feel like you've got to be great with that club before you move on? I just think I saw you I hit, hit I saw you hit 38 <laughs> irons yesterday, kid. And yeah. you were you didn't have a good dome day, right? And mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting because she had been hitting it pretty good and then yesterday didn't feel great. So yeah. when you get in that mode where you're not hitting it the way that you want, what's your exit strategy there? Um, I really break it down back to the sim- simple things because in my golf swing, I do the same three things wrong every single time when it goes bad. What are they? And uh, so one is my head drops down at impact. And uh, the second, the biggest one is um, my left arm is stiff coming through and it's not folding. And so that causes me to get the block and then the occasional uh, flip draw when I my hands get overactive. Um, those are the two big ones. And then the third one is usually something with my setup position, either my feet are you know, in a closed stance or something, or my, my right shoulders drop down on a dress. Those are the three big things that always go wrong. So when I'm not hitting it well, I look to those things first and take a quick, have someone take a quick video of me. Um, and I can diagnose my own swing problems and not every day is going to be great at the dome. I've had many where I left frustrated and had to give my dad a call, you know, (laughs) the second I got in the car. But, um, I think it's 
just getting something out of each practice, even if you're not hitting it well, and then not leaving until you at least feel like you accomplished something. So, And maybe that something is leaving the bay and going to chip and putt. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. That could be the solution as well. Yeah. Because you still have that quality takeaway. I love that. And I think that you are already so far ahead of the game with the way that you're talking about it and, and diagnosing yourself and making those corrections. Um, when did that, when did you feel like you got to that level where you really had a good feel for your mistakes and you knew how to correct them? I would say not until sophomore year of high school. I tended to repeat my same mistakes over and over again. And it wasn't until some really bad tournaments and outcomes that I realized that I kind of had to change my approach to how I was practicing if I wanted to compete at that highest level and not be embarrassed on big stages. And so um, I would say in the middle years of high school is when I, when I really developed a sound game plan. That's awesome. So four days ago, I was playing in a tournament in Arizona. How excited are you to get to travel, to be in the Arizona sun, to play some golf? I'm really excited. Uh, One of my favorite parts about golf is traveling and getting to play different courses all over the country, different conditions, different types of grass. And uh, the Notre Dame team took two practice trips to prepare us for this week. And so I I feel like my game's um, good coming out of the winter and that I'm prepared to play well at the Arizona course. And from what my coaches have told me, that it's a a go-get-em course. And so I can hit a lot of drivers there, which is is my favorite part. Yeah, Um, if it's open. If it's open. Mm -hmm. And so... I, I'm really looking forward to getting off to a hot start this spring. How long are you hitting it right now? Um, I'm hitting about 280 with the driver. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I got I got all new uh, pink clubs uh, in October, and it they've been phenomenal. Straight? Yeah, really straight. <laughs> Look out. Look out, Arizona. More is coming. Um, that was where I wanted to spend some time because you were – as decorated at Illinois golf athlete as they come, I believe. And we'll talk about some of those decisions you made throughout your career and your finishes in a while. But we get the feeling that we're at a 10 to 15 stroke disadvantage when we go show up at a winter tournament because where we're coming from. In fact, I got a text message today from a buddy of mine uh, who said that to us, to me, that there's mm-hmm. some Florida guys that say, you guys, what are you doing in these tournaments? Why even bother? You are, you, you can't be ready. There's no way you are ready. And we left Arizona. And did you feel like you were ready to play in a tournament? Um, I mean, yeah, when we left Arizona, I felt good, better, better. But when you look at how it went for you, I think you would agree that it just we didn't have the touch, right? Yeah, I just we, didn't. we didn't see it fly outside enough. Mm-hmm. And, Definitely. And so, and our buddies did this mm-hmm. had the same feeling, yep. honestly. Wisconsin people, Illinois people. So, how are you going to show up in three days and perform against those teams that have been outside playing golf for the last four months? Yeah, when I uh, when I arrived at the golf course, I'll spend probably 75% of my time on the short game area because hitting off mats isn't anywhere close to hitting off that grass. So if I feel like I can get my touch around the greens really good, I'll practice all types of shots off tight lies, you know, rough, Bermuda and stuff. Um, once I feel like I have a pretty good control in that area, then I'll move to the range. And But I really focus a lot on the short game because that those are, that's the part of the game 
that I feel that when you're not playing outside and you're not playing rounds of golf, you lose the most. That's that's the case. Realistic, yeah. Yeah, that's really what we felt too. So, um, but you could have gone anywhere, Lauren. Right? You were really good. So you came here, and and this is your dream school. And I'm not gonna lie, I I think it's a great dream school. So, but you had to be tempted to go play somewhere warm. You made a great choice. We know that. But why didn't you go south? Yeah, I did. I looked uh, all over the country. I looked south, east coast, west coast. And when I came here, it was the visit that I made here was different than any other place that I went to. And I I came here and I looked at the golf facility and I said, this is a place that at the end of my four years, I can really improve. And that will put me in a better place in my golf game than I came here. And um, I just really like the the atmosphere on campus. And I was also looking for a school that had really great academics and getting a degree at the end of the four years that really mattered um, was something that I was interested in because, you know, as much as I want to play professional golf when I'm out of here, if that for some reason doesn't happen, I want a great backup plan to fall on. And And so I thought the Irish degree would be that for you. Yes. So between having really great uh, practice facility and then also having some of the best professors and academic services in the country, that's what really sold me on Notre Dame. Cool. Yeah. What about the football games? <laughs> Those are pretty great, in too. The hockey, <laughs> yep. the hockey. I went to the hockey game a couple nights ago, and we were right. We were sitting right on the ice, and it was it was electric. <laughs> Better than anything. <laughs> yes. These Southerners don't know about, no. about hockey Mm-mm. the way we know about hockey. Right? <laughs> yeah. like, and a Notre Dame hockey is one that I was jealous. I saw you wearing the sweater <laughs> out in front of the stadium, fired up on Instagram about it, and I'm thinking, I need to get out there and watch one of those. <laughs> The Highly domers. recommend. Yes. Do they got the domers on? They got the gold. They got the gold lids. Oh yeah. <laughs> Why don't we petition either Scotty Cameron or Bobby Volke to make some gold domer putters or wedges for you? <laughs> yes, that would be nice. <laughs> don't you think that the golf team should be repping some sort of golden dome? Mm-hmm. The Bet Nerdy came here and uh, fitted our team uh, not too long ago, and they customized our putters and stuff like that. So. Are they gold? Uh, no, they Come aren't. On. <laughs> Come on. We need an all gold putter. Something. <laughs> Grip all the way. I think it would be pretty sick. Um, you were uh, as good of a high school golfer as you could find. You finished fourth in the IHSA as a freshman. Uh, you went back as a sophomore. You finished second. And then you made a really interesting decision. And it was like, ah, I'm good. Like I got, I, I got that second place already. But you went back as a senior, and you won the whole thing. But as a junior, you didn't play high school golf, did you? No, I did not. What's up with that? Uh, so sophomore year, it it killed me to come up one shot short. Uh, <laughs> it was brutal. Um, but I I felt that um focusing on the national tournaments and competing at the national level was what would um prepare my game best for coming to Notre Dame, uh, playing those longer yardages with better competitors um, was something that I wanted to focus on and really test my game against that type of level. And I feel like I improved as a player junior year a ton. And so that allowed me to come back senior year and win. And uh, I wanted to come back for the state title. Um, But I think that 
I made the right decision in uh, deciding not to play high school golf junior year because I got some great exposure um, all over the country. You went, you had to play in some big tournaments, and the reason why you didn't play high school is because IHSA wouldn't allow you to do both, right? Yes. And so you went to California for one or two, I believe, during mm-hmm. this during the during the season, and played well, right? I mean, yep. top twenty finish. Um, and did that set the stage for you? Had you already made the decision at that point to go to Notre Dame? You were already signed and committed to the, to the school? Uh, so I verbally committed uh, in March of my sophomore year, and then uh, signing day isn't until senior year. So it was a verbal up on, up until senior year. But, uh, yeah, I didn't know I was going to and Notre Dame And after you verbally point. committed, how many schools were still actively recruiting you? Um, they they pretty much lay off after that point. Um it's kind of frowned upon in, sure. the, in the college. Just out of yeah. respect for yeah. the other universities. So mm-hmm. as a freshman and a sophomore, before you had verbally committed, what was the recruiting process like for you? Uh, it was intense. There were... I, when I, did it start, Lauren? Eighth grade. I got the questionnaires from Illinois and Michigan were my first two. And I probably got 50, around 50 of those questionnaires in the mail between eighth grade and uh, sophomore year when I committed. And it was really, it was really tough because I was nervous when I saw college coaches on the tee boxes looking at me and it would make me tense. And I, cause I wanted to commit early. I wanted to know where I was going. That's just kind of me as a person. I want, want to have my future set. And so, there was there was some pressure at those big tournaments to perform well because they're there and they're seeing your game in person and so you got to you got to make yourself stand out somehow so that they remember your name and so i remember the first couple times i didn't do so well when they showed up but then as i got more experience with college coaches being around i it became more of like, oh, l- let me show them what I got type of thing. And I, once I took that mentality, I was able to perform much better. And then the questionnaires kept coming in at that point. You made the change or you stepped forward into those tournaments after playing some U.S. Kids stuff, after playing the local tour, which is our IJGA, correct? Mm-hmm. And then you transitioned into which tournaments that gave you that type of exposure? AJGA. For sure, all the college coaches look at AJGA. They great, great competition, and they have a national schedule in every state. And so, I think that's where once you dominate at the local level, you have to move to AJGA to get the college exposure. And you did that dominating to earn stars, and those stars were used to enter into the AJGA tournaments. Yes, um, I. Uh, won Chick Evans, uh, which is through the IJGA, and that got me eight performance stars. And then I had done done a couple uh, qualifiers that got me some other stars. And so I started off with a fair amount of stars, and then I was lucky enough to win an AJGA my first year playing. Good enough to win. Lucky <laughs> or good? Um, I. I think Listen, it was you're pretty- <laughs> good. You shot 66 as a freshman and didn't putt well. Okay, so we can get past that luck part, even though we are with the Irish here. Okay, you were good enough. And so now you're earning all these stars. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the stars are piling up. And yes. then you have to make some really tough decisions as to how you're going to use them. Yes, exactly. So the, then the question becomes, am I going to continue to play in the open tournaments where uh, it's a smaller field, uh, not as many stars to get in, maybe slightly weaker competition, and you have the chance of you know winning and getting more stars, but the reward isn't as great as com- um 
competing in the invitationals, but the invitationals obviously have greater competition. Um, they're usually tougher golf courses. So, and so that's kind of a decision. And more stars. Yes. The and rewards. you're using them. Yep. So, so risk reward. Definitely risk reward. But and you I chose to do. I chose to do the invitationals because I felt that I got myself enough into the position to get into those tournaments that I'd be foolish to pass up on that opportunity that's sort of a one in a lifetime thing. And there's, you know, four hundred other people behind me that would love that spot. So I felt like shying away from the strong competition just so that I can get a top three in an open was kind of kind of the wrong decision to make. And you were, your game was prepared to make that decision too. Mm-hmm. Yes. And everybody has to, has to know where they fit, right? So you were, you were ready to compete at the highest level and you took advantage of it and then you got that exposure. Um, did you feel like you wasted any stars along the way? Uh, yeah, of course. After, after you have the bad finish on 18 and you're like, oh, you know, if I would have had one stroke better, I would have gotten two more performance stars for that. You know, it stings when it comes down really close to that. But I think, um, I never ran out of stars or wasn't able to get into tournaments that I wanted to. Uh, so I think that I did a pretty good job of deciding which tournaments to use them with. Um, so that was never a I huge concern. <laughs> I was watching a news clip on you, and I noticed that your dad is your first and probably favorite coach, like my dad. What is that like for you now that you are in college? Oh, yes. Uh, My dad is my swing coach. He knows my swing better than anybody else. He's watched me hit thousands of golf balls, and we have a really great relationship. And, you know, when I'm struggling with something, he's the first person I call, or I'll send a video, and I'll get a response back in 45 seconds. And uh, my my dad is so supportive of my golf, and uh, I called him last weekend, or two weekends ago, and I was like, ah, you know, I'm I'm just overdrawn a little bit. I want to straighten it out before the tournament. And he drove up that day, and we had a three-hour rain session what a on here. <laughs> and so my dad is is really invested in seeing me do well, and we have a really great relationship. Well, what's his qualification to be your swing coach? <laughs> what I, I mean, I'll call myself a swing coach, but I played basketball and baseball. I'm just trying to figure it out. What's this guy's deal? Uh, he does more research than anybody I know. Uh, I think he has read every golf book on the market. And uh, so I saw he took me to see Jimmy Ballard uh, when I was 10 years old. And Jimmy Ballard worked with about, I don't know, 40 uh, professionals in the mid 80s. And he had a really great, uh, you know, resume background and um, all the players that he worked with improved in the swing just looks smooth. It's not hard on the body and um, was something that I could physically do and have a lasting career in that. Um, and so my dad took me to see him and I've been working with Jimmy Ballard ever since, but f- since he's lives in Florida, you know, I don't get to see him that much. So my dad learned that golf swing, um, is in, in as much detail as he possibly could. So, so if that- I could describe that swing and I've seen you enough. It's you, what I think is the most significant factor in that is your takeaway and to, to get to the top. And I just think it's very methodical and it's very precise uh, and it's slow. Mm-hmm. And I was trying, not, not because we were coming here at all, but I'm watching my own and I'm thinking, man, she's so quick. 
everything's so fast. And then she gets to the top and then she loses control of the, and doesn't know the plane. And then all, you know, so talk, talk to me about your takeaway. Yeah. Um, so the slow takeaway is not something that was ever specifically taught to me. Um, it was more of, I need to have a, a weight transfer going back to get my weight behind the ball so that I can um, get into a proper, properly coiled position so that I can release um, everything that I have and throw that at the ball. And that's where I get my power from. And so for me, uh, if I took the club back fast, I never was never in sync and um, I, it felt very rushed to me and it seemed like wasted energy going back because who cares how fast you take it back? It's what's coming down. So if I knew that I could get into that proper position where I th then could explode coming down, um, that's what I was always trying to do. So the slow takeaway is, um, something that I do with every club and it's kind of, kind of unique to me. Nobody really takes it away that slow, but I feel like I, from the top position, I am ready to hit the ball. And I feel like I You're gained. loaded. You're fully loaded. Your hips are where you want them to be. Your yep. hands are perfect. And then you just go get the ball. Mm -hmm. And I think it helps with accuracy a lot too, because there's, there's not a lot of rerouting or timing because I'm from one position every single time. Yeah. Okay. I should try to start doing that. <laughs> Well, maybe just a little, you know, maybe yeah. a little, maybe it's everybody's got their own swing. And so, you know, when people look, you think about the girls on your team that are playing right now, how different does everybody look getting after the ball? Yeah, not, not one person on my team has a similar swing to each other. Uh, everybody does it a different way, but everybody gets it in the hole. So that's all that really matters at the end of the day. And, and we're all modeling and looking and trying to recreate something and, and, and sticking to this person's swing as a father or as a coach saying, this is the way you got to do it. And that's just not the case. Um, I think everybody finds their own at some point. Yeah. And that's a, it's a slow process. I don't know how long it took for you to get to, to the point where you really honed in on your swing. I think you kind of mentioned that a little bit and felt like, you know, by your sophomore year, you had it really, really figured out. Um, so any advice to people that are really working hard to figure it out? Um, yes, I would say, well, it took me five to six years to feel completely uh, comfortable with my swing and know exactly what happened when I went wrong. And so I would say, don't, don't settle on if you're like, oh, I'm hitting it far enough or this feels pretty good. Um, don't stop there because it can always, always improve. And I was tempted many times. I was like, dad, you know, I'm hitting it 265 and it's in the fairway and I'm out driving these other girls. And it was easy for me to be content with that. But I think that you always got to keep taking that next step forward. And so, um, doing the things in your swing that are uncomfortable to do that you don't like, but you know will help your accuracy or your approach distance or whatever in the end is stuff that you have to do, even though it's not fun at the moment. Did you battle through a lot of those changes and feel like you took a couple steps backwards from where you were? Yeah, for sure. I would, I would complain to my dad sometimes, you know, I was hitting the ball great and you had me do this and it, the result wasn't the same or I lost five yards and, and it would seem frustrating at the moment. But then I would realize that, you know, two, three weeks of doing that same, that same move and all of a sudden it would, it would develop into a result that I couldn't imagine three weeks ago. I have a theory on high school golf. Okay. And you, you need to tell me, I don't know. I, I was terrible. I barely made a team. Okay. You'll be fine now. Um, <laughs> Is it 
possible that everything that you've done in your golf career minimizes the pressure you felt in IHSA state championship? Is it possible that when you would tee it up in the tries or the locals that you went out there and it almost seemed laughable to you? And I'm not disrespecting the game or IHSA, any of that, but because of the tournament pressure that you had felt growing up and, and the position you had been put in your whole life, that high school golf almost felt like uh, an intramural sport. Yeah, I would say that. Don't just agree with me. <laughs> I would go to the tournaments and it would be, there would be close to no pressure. I would feel like I I was one of the best there, that um, I had I had things that I could do with the golf ball that those other girls couldn't. And so it was kind of a confidence thing for me. And I, I liked high school golf for that reason because it, it instilled a lot of confidence in my game um, because other people would look at me and be like, oh, you know, I I admire your swing or, you know, your golf game. And it would feel good and it would be – and then it would also be a f- reflection moment of like, well, how did I get here and what is what, what am I going to use high school golf as to continue to improve myself? And I think it really takes away um, the pressure – because when I when I had that bunker shot for the state championship in the last whole senior year, I felt absolutely no nerves whatsoever. And people are like, "That's You're, ridiculous." Tell us the, I don't know the story. <laughs> tell me, tell me the story. So did it come so, down to eighteen? Yeah, I uh, I shot sixty seven the first day in the snow, um, and I had a five shot lead. The <laughs> <laughs> <It was> snow. <laughs> yep, it was snowing. <laughs> and then uh, the second day, I I wasn't playing as well. I think it was one over uh, through seventeen holes. And one of my great friends, uh, Brian Bolden, who's now playing at uh, Mizzou, she was four under on the day, and I had a one-stroke lead um, playing 18. And 18 at the at the state course uh, is kind of a long par four where you got to lay off off the tee and then hit kind of a hybrid into the green. And uh, I wasn't in the fairway with my coach and I asked him is is par good enough and he said yeah par's good enough and he walked away and uh I hit a five hybrid and it came up like four feet short and went into the front bunker and I had about a 25 yard bunker mm, shot impossible. to get up and down what'd you use I used a 58 degree wedge uh <laughs> and you went you went after I it. went at it yeah because the sand there indicator not the best type of sand (laughs) and so it was uh it was pretty it was pretty firm so I knew I had to be pretty aggressive going in there there was no chunk and run in it so um I took a pretty good swing at it and knocked it to four feet and then had a downhill left or right or to win the tournament and I made it and uh my parents were my mom was a nervous wreck sitting on the whole watching and my dad's like I thought we were gonna have to take her away in a stretcher <laughs> and I was like I wasn't nervous at all it was it was more like okay I I know how to hit this shot I've done it before this this situation is nothing different and I like competing in front of crowds so having people there was almost like even more of an incentive to get it up and down be like yeah this is 18 and i can get it up and down from anywhere type of thing bogey wouldn't have done it bogey would have forced a, a bogey playoff. would have been a playoff <laughs> what's your buddy think about that uh we're we're, we're good pals uh, she she gave, <laughs> she came and gave me a hug after the end it was all good and her teammate uh grace kern who plays for minnesota now uh did an up and down 
and so my sophomore year to beat me by one. So it was the exact same, <laughs> same situation. Yep. There's two takeaways there that, that I want to just kind of circle back to. And I felt this way about you, Allie, and I, maybe you can respond to this and tell me what you think. But I think sometimes I'm doing a disservice to her by putting her against the best players in the United States in every single tournament. I think that in the Chicago Tour, you know, you look at who's there, and it's the best player from Long Grove, from Barrington, from Schaumburg, you know, one from Naperville, and it's that's it. You're playing against the best all the time. Every once in a while, that confidence boost that you talked about is necessary, um, and I think you can get beat up over time when everybody's as good as you, and you're all fighting it out. And I know it stretches you and makes you better, and it challenges you, but. Do you, you've done a couple other events that are smaller at the local course, and I, you know how people look at you like, how yeah. how is it possible that this kid's this good? So can you make a, a kind of a comparison between those two, Allie? I mean, yeah, it's just different because sometimes when you're playing with people that are as good as you or, I mean, the same, uh, it's kind of like, okay, I need to play really good. I have to play perfect. And, uh, yeah, I can't mess up with the shot but sometimes like that stress isn't good i mean and on the other hand when when everybody's looking at you and if you make a bogey or a double they're like mouths are like dropped (laughs) you're like well i'm not even playing good dad and (laughs) but you feel great when when people look at you that way too right yeah it just feels nice sometimes to like have that advantage but also you want to play you want to like have a good competition yeah i i definitely agree um that's why i think that you shouldn't you shouldn't move to that national level until uh you've dominated at those local levels um because i think that getting those tournament wins under your belt no matter how small the tournament is or how small the field is is really important because you got to learn how to win and that winning feels good and you fall in love with that feeling from like a young age so i think that having a mix every year of those um slightly less competitive tournaments and then the really strong ones is the way to keep it well balanced do you remember it getting like harder every single year when you went from eight to nine to ten to eleven i don't know how if you can retrace this but like for us it felt like right when you were really starting to figure out and you're starting to shoot low numbers 34s 35 it, it got long again and they add 500, 600 yards to it, and then the course stretches out, and then again it stretches out again. Um, at what point did that stop for you? Is that still happening where the, where the game is getting longer? Um, I would say, so when I first started in the U.S. kids' tournaments, when I was, uh, you know, 9, 10, in that age, um, I, wasn't, I wasn't the best out there. Brianne, my friend I talked about a little bit ago, was by far the best on that tour, and I was probably the third best out there at that time. And... Um, I really, I fell in love with it. I really wanted to work hard. And do you remember what your numbers were like in those tournaments? I was 44, 43, somewhere around there. And she was usually 37, 38. So, I mean, she, she would get me pretty good. And it was, it was frustrating, but it really made me work harder because I, I'm a competitive person and I wanted that victory. I wanted to go to Pinehurst and play in the world championship. Mm -hmm. And so, Um, my game really blossomed when I was around 12, 13 years old. Um, I won a lot of IJGA tournaments at that, at that time. Um, and I kept improving every year and I felt like 
some of my competition just stayed the same and I continued to improve and I liked that. So I kept pushing myself further. And then I would say once I was probably a sophomore, junior, I kind of hit the the point where I didn't keep getting better every year and my competition was now also getting better. So I wasn't so much of a, a standout anymore. And that was, that was difficult because at the national level, I was coming in 25th, 32nd, 16th, and I wasn't in the top three at every single tournament. And so, you know, as the, as the competition gets tougher, you kind of expect that. But I think that I did reach that, uh, that point and it was difficult because for me in a confidence standpoint it was like I went from winning everything to not not getting a top 10 every week and so it was a little difficult but I think that it was important to experience that at a young age because it made you realize what reality is like and you can't live in that that little high forever and so for that reason you would tell all of our buddies that are from chicago to just go play in those winter tournaments yeah you may not be ready everybody else might be a little bit better you're 11 years old mm -hmm. it'll be fine right i went to innisbrook and in february or whatever i did that three years in a row and i shot 91 year and it was it was humiliating because there's florida girls yeah. <laughs> that were shooting 74s and it looked like a joke out there and uh but i think that putting yourself in those uncomfortable positions in the end really helps especially once you get to the college level now because you're doing this thing every week you're going to play a new course where uh you know the the tournament host has a greater advantage but you gotta you gotta go play their home course that they've played you know 400 times so it's it as the levels keep getting higher that this that it's reoccurring so you gotta gotta do it mm -hmm. i can't tell you how much i love that right now awesome uh you worked so hard that you made it to the u.s women's amateur round of 32 Yes. <laughs> what the, I mean, that's the woman's amateur. Okay, mm -hmm. we're not talking about some junior stuff. <laughs> how did you how did you qualify? Tell us about it. So I went to a qualifier in Tennessee, and there were about mm, 65 girls there. It was 100 degrees. <laughs> and I, I played one of my best. I think it may have been my best round of golf. Um, I didn't putt well again. <laughs> Reoccurring theme. Stop but <laughs> it. Everyone's going to dislike you if you keep telling us you're shooting in the low 60s, mid 60s, and putting poorly. <laughs> I had uh, I shot 67, a bogey-free 67, and uh, it was a tough course. And uh, I my ball striking that was probably the best best day I've ever had. Uh, tee to green, and um, I was so ecstatic when I when I made it through qualifying. Um, and then it was played at Mississippi State's home course, Old Waverly. Oh, you know Ellie McDonald's home course, Al. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I got there, and this was my second uh, women's amateur. I had uh, played in the 2016 women's am in Pennsylvania, and I'd made the cut, but then got annihilated in match play. So I wanted to improve <laughs> on uh on my 2016 showing. So I played the practice round and I quickly realized that the rough was th three and a half inches high and it was thick Bermuda and you can't play from the rough and ever hit a green there. So I figured out very quickly um, that I needed the fairway finder off the tee. 
and I developed I developed a a driver swing that week um, that was straight on straight, and I used that on every hole, a uh, little lower ball flight, but still running really good. And I I hit so many fairways that week, and that's really what I think my success came from was because uh, other girls were trying to whack it out of the rough, and you just couldn't play from the rough. So I think my first um my first match play around i won uh 6 and 5 and on top of hitting that fairway finder i had a good putting day and uh i think that's how i was able to advance so far in that tournament because i hit so many fairways especially in the qualifying rounds it was a it was a ball striking and up and down performance and you'll be at it again this summer right yes <laughs> where are you planning on going um is that like a secret no i'm going to do the illinois qualifier uh, and see if I make it again. Where's that coming out of this year? Do you know yet? Uh, no, I, announced? I don't know. Okay, whatever. Go do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Four ball. Uh, played in it? I did. I played. Partner? Uh, when it was uh, at Tim Aquana, uh in April. I did that. And I played with a girl named Caroline Smith, who is a Barrington se- girl, right? Yes. Uh, she's going to Wake Forest. She's a senior in high school right now. Um, Wake's on the schedule uh, yes, a few it is. times for Notre Dame, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Can we get her playing in that one slot and maybe get a pairing someday <laughs> soon? Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> That's what's so great about this, isn't it? I, oh, yeah. We walked in, and I mentioned uh, Clemson to you, and I, I mentioned a girl named Ivy Shepard, who apparently is one of the coolest people of all time. And you you know her, you've played with her, mm-hmm. and you've traveled, and all of these girls that you played with throughout your life from nine on are now playing at a high level. And you're going to run into them, like, now, playing yeah. in these big invites. It's the same faces every week. <laughs> How cool is it, though? Yep. It, I mean, you're wearing, cool. you're wearing your school now. Mm-hmm. You're wearing your rep in Notre Dame. You're going in there, and you see her, and she's got her Clemson Tiger paw on, <laughs> and it's like one versus one, here we go. Yep. How great is it? It's great. Um you know those people's games so well because you've played so many tournaments with them and they know you and it really becomes intense because it's this has been a kind of an ongoing rivalry for you know six seven years and so it's just great when you see uh people that you're used to competing with at these tournaments and it's it's kind of like a mini reunion sort of (laughs) it has to be it's like going to a regional with the girls from all over and that's uh, that's something that I look at and think you know it'd be really cool to watch that someday. So I'm sure your parents are really proud of that. Um, so I wanted to get into a little bit here about the coaching staff at Notre Dame, and uh, maybe you can take a minute to talk about what what's so great about your staff here and what makes this place special. Um, yeah, so our head coach uh, Susan Holt and our assistant Kyle, um, they they're really they're really great. Um, they're dedicated to our program and helping us achieve in the classroom too, which from what I hear from other college coaches, they, they don't care what you do in the classroom. So having that balance where they understand, you know, if you got three midterms in one week is, is something unique to Notre Dame. And I, I enjoy um, them not placing, you know, everything on the golf performance, which is nice. Um, and then I'm, I'm really surprised at, the communication uh that occurs here so we have a great um 
strength and conditioning coach and his name's Jimmy Haley and he is phenomenal and working out is one of my favorite activities here and I was never a huge fan of working out in high school uh, I I went to the gym but it was not never something I loved and so um between him and then our trainer Anne who helps us if we have any kinks or sores or anything like that and then we also have our academic advisor uh, Lauren, who helps us keep in, uh, keep on track in the classroom, uh, between that whole team, uh, they communicate so well that by the time I get to practice, uh, the coaches know everything that's happened throughout my day here. And so everybody really cares about you personally and on a personal level here, which is something that I didn't really expect because there's so many student athletes here, but they, they take time to make you feel like you're really important. Yeah, she's done an instrumental job here turning this program into what it is over the last 14 years. I saw there's a, a bunch of regional qualifiers. There's a, there's a, there's an NCAA finals that, that you guys did back uh, a few years back, 2000. And do you remember the year? I think year it was that? 2011, maybe. Yeah. So obviously you're trending in that direction again with you playing, uh, as the number one coming into the first event, which was really exciting for us to see. And, um, I think that there's some big things coming down the line here for Notre Dame. On the national scene, would you agree? Do you think that you guys are trending in the right direction? Yes, I think we're definitely trending. Um, we have a really young team. Uh, half of our team is freshmen this year, so I think we're only going to improve um, as the years go on. And we have some good recruits coming in as well. So I think the program's in a really great place. And I think that um, we just have to, as a team, have some good days at the same time. We've all had really great rounds this fall, and sometimes we haven't been able to put them together in one tournament. Um, but I think that every single person here is shot under par in at least one round throughout the fall. So I, the talent level's there, and I think that um, if we if we can put it all together at the right time, that we can contend at a big stage. One One last thing here. I think a lot of people talk about LPGA being the dream. And I think a lot of people are missing, you know, this part of it, the college experience and dreaming to play for a really big college school. Um, not that they're looking past it, but that's something I think a lot of people just go right to that. Um, the dream of playing at the college level sometimes isn't for everyone because when you get here, the, the reality hits you in the face as to how committed you have to be and what your schedule looks like and how tied to the program you are. Can you run down how difficult? Now, we know you love it, right? Mm -hmm. you, you absolutely wouldn't trade any part of it. But just to just to just shed some light on what the reality is for, for us, actually, for you, Al, because this will be the mm -hmm. first time you're hearing it, and it's probably the first time I'm hearing it. Yeah. Uh, so the days are long, uh, that is for sure. Um, I... I usually get up at 5.30, uh, 5.40. Uh, we have 7 a.m. workouts three days a week. Um, from there, I go straight to class, uh, still with all my workout stuff on. Um, I'll have two to three classes a day with not super large increments of time. Then I come straight to practice, uh, practice two hours, two and a half, whatever it is for that specific day. Then I run to the dining hall, grab a quick 20-minute dinner, and then I go straight to the um, academic study center where I have to put in hours, um, a certain amount of hours per week, and I'll stay there till midnight. And when are those hours tracked by the yeah, program? Yeah, they, they are tracked. Um, and then I'll go back to my dorm, study for another hour and a half, and then wake up at 5.30 the next morning. What time are you going to bed at? I'm going to bed usually around 2.00. How long are you going to be able to work on three and a half hours, kid? <laughs> uh, 
you know, a quick power nap during the day, maybe. But <laughs> I didn't hear time for that. No, <laughs> maybe that was when you skipped lunch. Because, yeah. yeah, you got to get a lunch. In oh you yeah, too. there's there's no three meals a day. That's for sure. <laughs> you you kind of have to do like a late brunch and a quick dinner. That's about it. But but why are you doing that? Um, it's because. You know, I don't like getting up at 5.30 in the morning and working out and then going to class sweaty. But for me, it's training myself so that I can get to that next level. Because when I when I graduate here, I want to turn pro and give it a go. And those are the type of sacrifices and that's the type of uh, level of commitment that you're going to have to have if you're going to make golf a profession. And so I feel like this is this is like the boot camp, you know, before you before you go overseas in the army or something you gotta you gotta learn the road map um and i feel like college is a great place to do that and then by the time i'm i'm done here with my four years i'll feel like i i have a routine and i have time management which i think is something that um people that choose to pass up on the college experience miss out on wow you're an inspiration (laughs) i think you really do have it figured out and we're going to be with you the whole way now. I mean, you're you're committed to grow the grind for the record. So your senior year, Symmetra Tour, LPGA, we're going to chase you down, and we're going to sit down and see how things have changed, what you learned along the way. I know I enjoyed this. I, I enjoyed our conversations You know, back, back a year ago when I started trying to pick your brain on what you did to get where you were. I saw you hitting out of the bay. I saw the name on the bag, and I was like, who is this kid? This kid's got to be really good. And I remember watching in that, um, that video on you just talking about that decision that you made to not play high school golf. And thought she must be really special if she's finishing second and needing more, right? Needing something bigger and better. And you clearly are. And so you took the time out. You're leaving. I see the Notre Dame bags around us right now. They're all traveled oh. up, right, Al? They're all branded yes. and traveled up. Uh, nobody's around. It's it's dark here. We snuck into the facility. I'm sure that security is <laughs> going to kick us out. We try to put on that green for a little while. And... But you're the, that's the type of person you clearly are. You're, you got your mind and your heart in the right place. And so uh, you also gave us a ton of great information. And, and, and we'd love to follow it. So thanks for taking that time with us today. It was great. Thank you. Yeah, I had a great time talking to you. And I just wanted to say that I think it is so cool that you go to Notre Dame and that you have been able to achieve so many things in your golf career that so many people dream of. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you for having me. That's a wrap for episode four of Grow the Grind, just off the campus of Notre Dame. And always remember, golf is great, the grind makes it greater. Let's go.